0: Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Well, hello and welcome back. I am Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Corey, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you, Mike? I'm doing. I'm doing good. We um. It's been a while since we've been down here, um, and I'm just glad to be here. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon, um, 50 degrees in Independence, Missouri, and we've got some new lights in the studio. We've got some new, new to us anyway, chairs. Uh, we'll hopefully share a little story about those later. And um, what have you been up to since the last time we got together? We've been putting episodes out every week, but we had those all recorded. We, we got ahead, and then you got busy. So it's been four or five weeks, I think, since we've actually recorded.
1: So what's been going on? Yeah, yeah. Oh, just lots of things. You know, uh, work is always kind of a, a thing we got to do and, and keeping food on the table. But I've had just lots of uh, fun researching and, and considering different things about the scriptures, about the the truth of God's work in the last days and uh, how things are coming together, and I, I just want to be one of these people who maybe saw it coming rather than after it happened wondered what happened, you know, <laughs> so just uh, lots of lots of amazing things, light and truth from the Word. I know um,
0: because even though you've been out of town a lot, uh, we've still communicated through text to you and I and some other people. And I know that um, you have seen and come across so much new information on just oh, yeah. all kinds of things, um, but a lot of it is all tied into this—the rest of the story that we've been talking about—and that is that that the gospel doesn't be, you know, end with the restoration uh, as we've known it uh, here in Independence, but that we are looking forward to this great movement that's prophesied in the book of Mormon of the gathering of the house of Israel back to Jesus. And so I know most of the things you've been looking at have to have been dealing with that. I've been excited, but I also know just for talking to you briefly how overwhelming that could be. And like you said, it feels like the Lord's opening up so much so quickly that it's hard to uh, wrap your mind around where to go next. It's just a
1: flood of information. Yeah, there, there is quite a bit, you know, when, I was in, you you use the word restoration, Uh, when I arrived at college, and this is, I guess, my second year in college, and met my roommate. He was a a new roommate that year. We we didn't really know each other before we were acquainted, but um, the very first day I met him. And now my roommate was a farm boy from central Ohio. And like all good farm boys, they have tractors. And he said, mm-hmm. hey, can I show you a picture of my tractor? And right. <laughs> But this wasn't just any tractor. My my roommate had in his uh, high school years had a project where he had one of these old 1940s John Deere tractors that was probably just something rusting in the corner of someone's farm field. Uh-huh. And he had taken this thing and meticulously restored it. and it was it was the same vintage style, kind of with the front tires that fold in uh, you know, kind of make it a little v triangle and it had like the metal seat and everything. But it was the bright John Deere green and John yellow right. And it yeah. had you know the the treads on it. and it was and he could turn that key and it would just hum. And you know, it was three cylinders, I think, is all it was, and they would just they would just hum and. So he wanted to show me this tractor that he had restored. And um, it's interesting because you know the word restore is used in the scriptures in a couple of different ways. One of it talks about our salvation and being restored to God, but the other one makes is, is and it makes me think about this tractor is this idea of this restoration of God's people. And so you and I have been in the church, we we've come to call our church what? I mean what what do we call it?
0: Well, now, the restoration
1: yeah yeah, yeah. And so and we use this word restoration but what one of these things that i just kind of stumbled on this week when i was considering that word restoration was the fact that it's used in the scriptures but it's used differently than how i think we have um the, the, than the intent that we've reduced it down to right um you know i i know that and and i'm not I'm not saying this isn't true i I know because we say, well, the church was restored, uh priesthood was restored, you know prophets restored and we, we sing about those things in fact, um that maybe that means the restoration was complete with that mm-hmm. and here's here's what I think the scriptures imply <clears throat> is that the restoration has started, but the restoration isn't complete until all of God's promises are fulfilled and all of his words to his people become fulfilled right through the covenants. Right. And you know, you could, you could get that tractor and you could start sandblasting off the rust and maybe start painting the exterior and everything. But if, if the engine isn't running and if the wheels aren't on it, you aren't restored yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what, when Nephi writes about restoration in the book of Mormon it's interesting because the very first time the word restoration is used in the Book of Mormon, I'm quoting from the RLDS version, chapter 431. He talks about the restoration of the Jews in the latter days. And then he, he continues to talk about the restoration of the house of Israel. And by restoration, it's not talking about what we, I believe, think of as restoration. It's, he's talking about their return to Christ, their return to him as the Savior, their understanding that he was the Messiah who died for them. He was the unblemished lamb. That's the restoration when all these people that God prophesied to come back. Right. That's the restoration.
0: I think this is a great way, and um, we, we said we wanted to talk about restoration today, and that's about <clears throat> other than a couple of things as far as we got. I think this is a great lens or a great... Um, eye-opening moment for us as saints just to take this word that we've become so accustomed to and have used so much, and because we hear it a lot, remind ourselves that when we hear this, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about hope, when we're talking about the rest of the story, that if we just stop and give pause and take a breath and say, restoration, we have made restoration a noun and really, it's intended to be a verb. And <laughs> we've turned point. it into a noun. You know, we've turned it into... It, we've turned it into
1: us, yeah, a thing.
0: I'm a member of the Restoration, or we have the Baptist, or the Presbyterian, or the uh, you know the Methodist, or we have the Restoration. You know, I'm a member of the Restoration. And so, um, whether we ever purposely did this or not, at some point, you know, we have turned ourselves into like I said, the noun. And yet when we talk about restoration and we see it in the scriptures, it's used as a process, a work, a verb. It's something that God is doing, you know? And I was thinking, Corey, um, well, I want to share just, I think there's a story here that happened recently that just kind of um, shows, uh, gives a great example of this. I don't know when when we want to get into that, but I want to share that at some point. But really, Restoration began, as you were showing us in the final prophecy, with Adam. When Adam fell, it says, Adam fell that men might be. And so that started this whole <laughs> plan. And and since that time, God's
1: been trying to restore men back to him. Right? Oh, wow. That's a good point, Mike. I, I love that. That I mean, restoration began at the exit of the garden. You know, right. the, the work of, of God that, I mean— And, and, you know, we see this in two senses. We see it in the salvation aspect, the fact that, okay, to restore us to God's presence required this sacrifice where God himself Mm -hmm. comes down and becomes flesh, becomes sacrifice, becomes sin for us. And yet that part of the, that's, that's the half of the story that deals with salvation. And that's the most important thing to understand. But yet there's this covenant aspect where God reveals how the world in the last days is going to turn back to him and that the people who are physically alive, those covenants are going to be fulfilled that were made way back with the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these people. And and that restoration isn't complete until all those promises mm-hmm. are done. But you're right. It started way back when at the beginning
0: can we speak, brother, just for a minute, can we speak just to, in, in a very gracious way, without um, mocking, without putting down, without pointing fingers, because we're all a part of, of culture, um, you know, it swarms around us and involves us, and we don't even realize it at times how we become a part of that. And so I am not putting anybody down, but I but I think what has happened is it has happened over and over in history. I just want to speak just a little bit. Let's just look and examine what happened with um, this great movement in 1830, but, but what slowly transpired into us uh, looking at ourselves yeah. as a noun or as a group of people, as uh, the church or as the restoration. And and um, do you agree that there is a, a mindset or a culture that runs so deep within us that we probably aren't even aware
1: of it, but that— um, has probably robbed us of some hope. Oh my! You know, boy, you touch on so many things, and I know you and I can both speak to this. I <clears throat> something that I, I just want to say is that even in the Doctrine and Covenants in the in the eighteen hundreds, the the idea of restoration was still this far future thing. I mean, you, other than the introduction to. The doctrine and covenants up until like section eighty three, the word restoration isn't even used until God is talking about bringing everyone to Zion and and restoring people, you know, in, in the end. But what's happened in our day, and this is, I, I think, Mikey just you know kind of hit the nail on the head. Part of my heart, and I just say this honestly, goes out to kids who right now or and I, by kids it could be anyone younger than me i suppose so you could be older but um but but the the rising generation in the restoration church let me just say that let me let me speak to them and you for a minute this what's happened is that i think we've collectively found that because of certain doctrinal differences we decided well people who held on to certain they believe original doctrines. Well, we are the restoration, and people who departed from those original doctrines in whatever way, shape, or form they're defined, they aren't. and and but yet, where I think there's a bigger story to be told is that the restoration isn't defined by certain people in the Gentile church who received the Book of Mormon, who simply decided because we're more fundamental than other people. That somehow we get to claim this name that we are the restoration. No, because the restoration is returning people who don't know about Christ back to Him, and and there it isn't just this collective group of people who who feel like we're more fundamental than other people, or we hold on to the scriptures, and that makes us the restoration. The Book of Mormon speaks to this in 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 several ways that um, I I think we'll get into. It'll take us, you know, a few scriptures to get there. But this whole day we're living in is still the beginning of the restoration because the covenants aren't all fulfilled. It's the process that Jesus said would happen is that this pure, plain, precious word that came from Nephi's descendants would land in our laps. You know, we're the we're the gentile church that he said would receive this. From there the word has to go back to God's original people. And I think where we've stumbled a little bit is maybe this notion that seems to be alive in in in, in the generation right now that somehow that because we received the book of mormon that makes us the restoration and everyone has to just kind of fall in line with us and and we're good. But Jesus even said, he said, no, he said, what's going to happen is that even the Gentiles who receive this are going to sin and reject this gospel. And it's it's one of these things where it's like we've overlooked the fact that the gospel's prophesied to go from us back to the house of Israel. And when it goes back to the house of Israel, this is the second time that Jesus calls it. He's going to reach out and he's going to try to restore all these scattered tribes and remnants and those are some of the people've been kind of talking about you know through our texts and, and and all these uh signs that are already around us whether we're're we're aware of them or not that God is doing this work to bring the world back to the truth about him and not just the not just our little enclave of people right now you said
0: something a little bit ago about <clears throat> in the doctrine and covenants um it was section 83. Yeah. Um, and yet if you do a word search, you find restoration but it's it's interesting that these are like the little forewords that are written it's about just the, the introduction section. yeah, right? the introductions. And so even there, we are starting to come up with this word um, as a it's what we're saying is it's like a group of people or the church like like oh, a, um, a, Like in section 31, the intro says, you know, Oliver and Peter were going to take the message of the restoration. So now here it is, is this noun. It's this what? The message of the restoration Mm -hmm. to the Lamanites. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Later on, it says concerning um, James Covel was a Baptist minister who sought light concerning his relation to the restoration movement. And so now all of a sudden, it's kind of like... um, well, you're starting to separate and become this entity, this group of, of people, or this organization, or this this movement, as that says right there, and and um, very slowly, I believe, our minds over the history of the church, you know, started to get, um, started to set ourselves up as a group of people, a movement that was going to do something, and that was to build a temple. And 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 build a righteous city called Zion, and that was our that was our great task. That was our great movement. And as we've talked many times in the last few episodes, when when we see the church fall apart, and you and I were talking recently, um, it's like the Lord almost needed to let this happen because we were all uh, so focused on proving that we were right that we were the one the one main people, that we were the church, the body, the entity that God was using. And I think that that had to stop because we we lost our focus on the greater movement, the greater plan. And um, I wanted to share a story, Corey, just to point this out, just in a very, um, uh, hopefully maybe this just shows, because again, my mind was just blown. It was just blown away. So you and I right now are sitting in these new chairs, right? New new to us, <laughs> new, right? New to us. Very so, comfortable. For some time, brother, I was looking for some chairs because if anybody's listened for any amount of time, you would hear from time to time in the background a squeak because <laughs> we had these really nice office chairs down here, but anytime you would reposition or stand up just a little bit, you know, you would you would get this big squeak because they turn and and that wasn't going to work. So I wanted <laughs> to find something that was a little more stable, but yet comfortable. And so I began looking on a Facebook marketplace just for some used, some type of chairs and, um, and Facebook marketplace works so that you can put in your location, you know, your zip code. And so I was just, I wasn't going to go very far. I was looking in my area and uh, you know, I had some couple conversations and either we couldn't find a time to meet up or it wasn't what I was looking for. And all of a sudden, one day I put it in again, and here were these two beautiful red, antique clawfoot, pretty large size chairs that looked pretty comfortable, and they were they were like fifty bucks for the, for the set, and mm. um, said they were hardly used. And I thought, well, this is great. But I, and I looked, and it was right here in Independence, and it wasn't too far away. And it and it shows how long they've been listed. I'm like, how did I miss this search? Mm you know, I've done this several times over the past month. How did I miss these two? And they were just right there. And so I called and this lady answered and, um, she said, I actually listed these for a friend and, um, my friend is, uh, she's a blind lady and she just moved to the city and, um, and I'm helping her, but I'm also concerned of anybody going into her home, you know, Mm -hmm. and so I want to be there. And I said, well, that's understandable. So anyway, we set up this time to meet. And when I hung up the phone, I looked at my wife and I said I said, I wonder if this is gonna turn out to be a church thing. I said uh-huh. I just had that 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 feeling. And so um I went over to this house and um and uh, met the lady we went down the base she says they're down in the basement and i said well how, how am i going to get them up it was kind of a small area and she goes well a uh, high school girl brought them down there you ought to be able to bring them up I was
2: like,
0: uh. <laughs> <laughs> so the challenge was laid out so I'm, like, I'm carrying these upstairs so anyway got the chairs up got them in the car and uh, went back in the house, and in my mind, I'm still thinking. I'm like, I've got to somehow just lay the bait and see if anything happens. You mm. know, let me see. Mm. And so, um, such a good witness. Y- yeah. Well, I was just, <laughs> I was are. thinking, somehow I've got to get it out there, and just, just, just experiment. And if nothing happens, then it was just my mind. So anyway, I I went back in. I said, you know, you got to be careful selling stuff on Facebook. I said you never know who's going to come in your house and you get a nice friend here, you know, but I, I said, I'm a minister and, um, and I'm a nurse and I go into the homes all the time, but you don't know if that's true or not about me. I could be anybody. And mm-hmm. so there it was, I put it out there and that was all I was going to do. And she says, well, where are you a minister at? And I thought, oh, there I you knew go. It.
1: <laughs> and I said,
0: uh, well, I said, well, I'm a minister for the Latter-day Saints. And I just kind of watched her. She goes, well, like the Mormon Latter-day Saints? Or I said, well, actually, I was born RLDS. And she goes, well, I'm learning about the Restoration. And there was a word, the Restoration, I think she said. "Uh, So come to find out, this lady wasn't from Independence, but where she was from, she was uh, engaged in some classes. And she actually called this man that had been teaching her her mentor, and, um, and found out that she was learning about the church. She wasn't a member of the church. Um, and anyway, so, you know, I didn't know the person's name, but being where we're at in the church, I didn't want to step on toes. But I wanted her also to have a connection here in town now. And I mentioned the congregation where my parents go. And she goes, yes, that's the congregation I was told about. I kind of I want to go there and get involved And I said, well, they drive right by your house on the way to church. Mm. They could easily pick you up Mm. if you wanted to. Mm. And we talked a little bit more. And then she brought up a name of someone that I did know and, uh, that had helped her get some books and things. And I said, okay, well, I said, I'm going to call this person if you don't mind and try it. Cause she didn't know the names of where she was going or anything (laughs) is I said, why don't I call and find out, um, where you're at and what they've been doing, what kind of ministry you had and see if they would like me to even help. I don't want to step on their toes, but if they would like someone that's here in town to help, uh, we would love to carry on uh, and have some meetings and just talk to you. Um, so I did. I called this person and then he gave me the number of the other person who was actually involved. And I called this man and, uh, and he's been doing a good work and he's been, you know, witnessing to her. But, but here's the point of this story. And this is this is so not against anyone. Again, this is just a product of where we are all at in different ways, in some shape or form. But uh, he began to tell me about how you know he got in a King James version of the Bible, and he outlined all of these things in blue um, because it meant across the waters of how it spoke about the Book of Mormon and that you know that the Book of Mormon was mentioned in the King James Bible and that how it proves that this is really a real book. And um, and it was some pretty deep stuff in the Old Testament, and 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 um, and yet at the end of it, I was like, "Well, that's pretty confusing." But is that that's that's how we go about the witness? And it, it was really brought out to me again that um, we've become all about proving that the Book of Mormon is mm. is not a falsehood, mm. Mm. but but completely. Not even, you know, thinking about the message. Not, the message. not
1: just letting the message no. of the Book of Mormon witness for right. itself. Uh, Instead
0: we have to prove where, you know, the Bible speaks that this uh, book would come forth. And that's that's part of it, but but that becomes the end of it way too often. And in in talking to this person and then in talking to this lady, she said it's so complicated, I can't I don't I can't really understand what they're telling me. Huh. And I just with all of my heart Wanted the opportunity to come into our home and just say, let me tell you about where we're headed. Oh, let wow. me talk to you about your savior and the fall of man and how we're sinful and how we were meant to be these beautiful, sinless creatures, you know, cleansed by the blood of our creator and how he came down, you know? I just want to talk to her about the message of the book. And I thought in my mind, can can I just come in and read what the book says
1: about our creator? And will that speak to your soul? Yeah.
0: And so it was a blessing that I felt like this was arranged by the Lord. And at the same time, it was this, uh, again, another testimony that we are we, we have missed the boat a little bit, and yet, again, I'm not putting this man down, bless his heart, doing a great work, trying to teach her about the church, but again, we are so ingrained over the years that we teach about the church. Proving, and, and proving was, we're the church. Right, that right. this was a movement of God, and, um, and yet here we sit, we're broken, we don't even have the we're, we're not even, we're, we're barely a semblance of what was restored back then. And we, we, we have no idea who's the right group or we want to say we're the right group. So anyway, without being negative, we all know where we're at. It was just a very, um, I think it was just a great example again of what we're trying to talk about today. And that is we have made the restoration into a noun, into this place that you have to prove to people this is right this is um, the church. This is the the entity that's supposed to build Zion, rather than saying, you know, we are part of this process. We are we are a little blip on the map of this great work God is doing of restoration. The verb, you know, His work. Um, so anyway, but that's not an isolated incident, Corey. That's that's not something that just happened here. This is a, a mindset that's of a culture. That's gone on
1: for how long? Exactly for years, exactly. right?
0: In our missionary efforts, in and, a, and in it's our, becoming
1: more ingrained. I think, and this mm-hmm. is why I mentioned this: to the youth of of the church. We got to realize that we aren't the restoration just because we we think we've got a handle on a few scriptures that make us more fundamental than others. This restoration is it, it begins with this message that that Nephi uses. If if turning to like. First Nephi 431, he he spells this out so clearly by saying it starts here, at 429, he says, the covenant God made with our father Abraham is where it begins. And he says, in your children, in your seed, will all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Abraham, this guy who had no children, and he said, hey, he says, if you can count the stars in heaven, go ahead, try. He said, your children to you, O barren man and barren woman near 100 years old, right. are gonna be more than the stars in heaven, more than the sands of the sea. He says, I'm making a promise to you right now. And your promise is that you are gonna have Jews and Gentiles. I mean, the, the words weren't didn't even exist yet because the tribes didn't exist, but from him came Jews and Gentiles. And he says and Nephi is explaining this to his brothers and he says and I spoke to them concerning the restoration of the Jews in the latter days. So he starts way at the beginning with Abraham and then he jumps way beyond our day yet which this has not happened the Jews have not been restored fully to Christ but we're seeing signs that it's beginning. And and he says these are the things that are that are going to happen. The world, the seed are going to turn back to Jesus and 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 learn about this great Savior uh, to the Jews, to the House of Israel, to the Gentiles, to everyone. And so we've kind of hijacked. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but but we've be- become a little bit uh, inwardly focused. Is probably the better way to say. It. I think collectively we've still lost sight of the greater story of the restoration, even though we call ourselves the restoration. It's this whole message that Jesus is saying about the restoration of all of his people to him in the last days. It isn't fulfilled. you, you You jump way ahead to Ether in the back of the Book of Mormon. He says, these promises are not fulfilled of restoration until the Jews and Gentiles are all reunited in God's kingdom called Zion and then the covenant with Abraham is fulfilled.
0: yeah. and in today's uh, in 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 this episode here, I think um, the purpose of sharing that story is just to help us be mindful that there is, I think we have that culture somewhat of uh, focusing, you know, and going about trying still to prove certain things. Right. And yet at the same time, um, just being mindful of that and, and and maybe looking to say is that true and and when I hear restoration used, let's just stop and and remind ourselves that hey there's something greater going on and and that it, it gives us hope and you know having the, the boys here this week um, Samuel and Aaron sorry Aaron <laughs> Aaron's son Andrew Smith and Jason man that they're not part of that. Culture, they're part of. Uh, you know, it's very evident that their hope. And uh, I listened to their uh, podcast this morning. I, I went back and listened. Andrew very, uh, very, very um, b- boldly said that um, his hope lies in the people, in their response to Jesus, and mm-hmm. watching their joy. And that um, it's relationship and it's a people coming to Jesus and that that is the church. And that's where they find their hope. And so I, I'm very excited that there's a younger group of people that are seeing that. And also, Corey, some of my friends. Um, I got a text yesterday completely out of the blue from a friend I haven't probably to in, spoken to in years. And he just said, uh, for whatever reason, he said, your, your, your name came to mind. And he had a question. And that and got us involved in a um, just a dialogue through text message, and you know what he did? He sent me a, a picture of the back of his scriptures that must have had fifty scriptures listed, mm-hmm. and he said, "Over the last several years, I've made us, I've written down the plain gospel in the Book of Mormon, talking to me about who God is mm-hmm. and that He's my Savior and that He came down and died for me." And he said, "And I've." I've kind of reset myself to to uh, focus on Jesus and not the church in quotes mm-hmm. and that it comes down to you either know Jesus and you're saved or you're not mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you've had the opportunity. And mm-hmm. so here's another a uh, humble brother that I've always respected and loved that that seems to have this awakening and that the Lord's just moving on the hearts of people that they're seeing the importance of that um that there's a greater work and that it's it's all about coming back to Jesus and being fit for the kingdom. Oh yeah. And so you've come across all kinds of things that I know you're you found that's showing the work all the way from I mean those stones in Puerto Rico to um um these uh messianic indians that are going to the these indians that are going to the to the Jews and saying hey we're Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean it's I mean whatever you want to talk about today but the the purpose of this episode is just showing that this restoration work is taking place in many ways and there's so much hope in front of us.
1: Yeah, there's so much hope and boy, it's it's the message of the Book of Mormon again. It's it's not the message that we have to prove us or prove that the Book of Mormon's true. Let the Book of Mormon speak for itself. You know, there are you can go on YouTube and find this. Just uh, for anyone listening, just search Isaiah 53 and Jews okay. or Hebrews or whatever just those words on YouTube and you're going to find videos in Jerusalem of people who are being interviewed who did not know this scripture existed that pointed so clearly in the Old Testament to Jesus being Messiah and this is speaking to the heart of Jews and this is this is turning their hearts from all the traditions the rabbinical traditions and the the oral history Uh, All these things covered this knowledge up, and now it's coming to light. And so that is so important to the hearts of people who are finding Jesus right now, I mean today. And yet what we don't realize is that Isaiah 53 is more beautifully explained in the Book of Mormon than any commentary I could find on the internet or any current preacher inside or outside of the restoration the people understood it so well Abinadi writes these words and and I, and I think if I was going to testify to one of these Jews I, I wouldn't take that approach that you mentioned you know our, our, the good brother who was just thinking hey I got to prove that the Book of Mormons true so let me use these scriptures here to show that hey maybe Joseph wrote and all this stuff well that could pique someone's interest okay and they might say yeah yeah it could be true but but if Isaiah 53 is speaking to their soul, then what I want to do is I want to share Abinadi's words about Isaiah 53 that say so clearly. He said, Abinadi says this, I would that you should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. That's restoration. And because he dwelleth in the flesh, he shall be called the son of God. And this this is the message that they have never heard. We we even skip over these words because we think they're so common. But yet, this is what penetrates their soul. These are the words that are bringing life to them. And we have it here in the Book of Mormon. And yet we feel like, oh, well, we have to prove that God restored our church and we're the right ones. And yeah, we have this book. But have we listened to the message of the book? You know, Have we shared the true message of the book? I, this is a little aside, Mike, but I've felt... Just one of these things on my heart of, of many things, I feel really a lack of focus, as I think I was sharing with you earlier right now, because there's just so many things swirling around that I'm seeing are, it's almost like low-hanging fruit. It's like, oh man, we could do this, we could do this. we could share with the Jews about about this from Isaiah 53. We have this work we could share with the Lamanites uh, that, that, that speaks to them. We have work that the Gentiles need to see. And what we need, uh, much more than anything, is a class or, or a small booklet or something that condenses down. And I'm just going to call it what the book of Mormon teaches mm-hmm. the the news of the book of Mormon. And it starts with this right here, that God himself came down and there was one God and he was the one who became flesh. He was the one who took on our sin. That is the message. You know, if, if you look and, and this week I found several, uh, articles and and mostly stuff on the internet, but some certain things in in books, old books that are out of print too, that all speak to this fact that the world will be restored. Some of these books actually were written way before the Book of Mormon, and they use the word restoration. One of them is written in the 1600s by a man named uh, Thomas Thoroughgood. You can find his book. He wrote a book, and now this is 200 years before Joseph Smith. He wrote a book called um, Jews in America, or the probability that they exist. Now, if you want to, if if you want to Google search that, what you're going to find is in the archives type internet sites. You're going to find an old book that's 400 years old, and you're going to find photocopied pages of it. And it's a little hard to read because of the old English. But but it's a. Uh- it's a real book. It's a real it's not, book. Not
0: just an internet article that someone could have made up. Yeah, there's fo- it's a photocopied book. What year was this? 16- uh, one of them was like
1: 1650. Okay. 1650. Yeah. Somebody
0: decided to look into the fact that Hebrew uh, roots belong to the Native Americans. It's
1: amazing, Mike. It's amazing that. Before, 200 I, it, years before the book. Right. Been. You know, there's been a concerted effort, and this was, is this was another book that needs to be written. I'm going to call it The Great Cover-Up because <laughs> there has been a concerted effort to hide this, and it's been around for hundreds of years. So this man, Thomas thorogood writes this book where he's... Done research through North, Central, and South America, finding all these commonalities. All these tribes have this name for God, Yehweh, you know, Jehovah. They're, and they they Indian have tribes. Indian tribes, right? And and he he lists scores of parallels between the customs that he found among the Indians and the Old Testament traditions of the Mosaic Law. Well, I'll speak to that more maybe later. But the fact is, knowledge was out there and he was talking about how, using the word restoration, these people needed to be restored. They were part of Israel. He believed they were the outcast, as Isaiah writes, to the four quarters of the earth. Uh, Another man, James Adair, in the 1700s, writes a over 400-page book. This man spent 40 years living among the Native Americans. He, He spoke their language fluently, and he was an Englishman. He spoke English, and he also spoke Hebrew. Now, the the interesting thing about Hebrew is that back in the 1700s, Hebrew was a popular language to understand if you were at all educated. In fact, um, I can't remember if it's Cambridge um, I, I should have looked this up ahead of time, but I, last year I came across this. One of the universities in America today, back in its early origins in the 1700s, I think it was Cambridge, uh, if you were the valedictorian, you gave your valedictorian speech in Hebrew, okay? Because everyone studied Hebrew, and it was like considered the elite thing to do. So Hebrew was commonly understood among scholarly people in the you 1700s. Told me, you said and, one of the presidents even gave a... Yeah, it was something, yeah, well, it was like, James, it was, um can't remember if it was, uh, I think it was John Adams was uh, the grad, he was the valedictorian of his class, and he, when he graduated, gave his commencement speech in Hebrew, so people like him, and I, I could have that wrong, I'll have to double check my notes, I don't have them with me, but. In fact, they, even the the college uh, their their symbol, like every college has, like their little mascot or emblem, was this uh, picture of this breastplate, and, and it said "Urimum Thumum," and it means light and truth. Okay, in Hebrew, but that was that was part of the day, and it's still there actually. But the whole the whole um, idea here to be shared is that people in the 1700s understood Hebrew, and. People in the, yeah, okay, just so you can't see this, but Mike's telling me slow down because he knows oh, I get excited, all right? No, because I'm trying to. Well, I'm hearing oh, this good. like, <laughs> no, it's, it's all good, brother. I know. So this idea that uh, someone understood Hebrew was, it was something that in the day many people did. But this man also lived among the Indians for 40 years. And he documents just the almost to the minutiae, the commonalities between their languages and their understandings of their their origins, their history, their culture, their language, their beliefs. And he ties it all back to the understandingness of the Old Testament. But then he takes it ahead and, and talks about them being restored to the truth. One other book, so I've given you three. The One was The Probability of the Jews Living in America. That was thorough good. Uh, James Adair wrote his book called The History of the Indians. I don't think I mentioned that. That was in the 1700s. In the 1800s, there was a man named Ethan Smith who wrote a book in the 1820s. This is shortly before Joseph Smith's even kind of on the radar. And he's the one who speaks most profoundly about the Indians and his Uh, observations that they were scattered Israel and that they would be restored to the truth. And and the reason I share any of this and all this is because um, people had an understanding years before that the people who are the natives here had some connection to Israel and that God's plan wasn't finished until them and all the tribes, wherever they're at on the earth, come back to him. All right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, and we're a piece of this puzzle, but the problem is I think we've assumed that we are the puzzle, all right? And it's, it's, it's a bigger story than just us. And this is why I said I want to speak to the youth, if, if anyone's listening, to understand that there is a much bigger story unfolding. And, and what our job is and has always been is to get the purity of this word back to God's people And that's a different challenge than just simply proving that we're the restored church, as we like to say. What being restored means is that we have a proper understanding, a proper knowledge of God. And this plain and precious truth came to us through the Book of Mormon. And so it's imperative that we understand the message of the Book of Mormon and we understand truth versus fiction. Now, you told me something, Mike, about... Uh, counterfeit money. What what was that? That was interesting because I think it has good bearing on this topic. Yeah, I heard that. I've heard this several times, but I was talking to
0: somebody the other day and it might've been Aaron um, Smith. Um, anyway, we were, we were just talking and uh, it was a reminder that Uh, you know, if the bank tellers, and you had an experience, you said, where you actually had counterfeit money not too long ago. Given to me. Didn't produce it, right? right, right. You were making in the basement. It was (laughs) was a cool thing. No, you you were trying to uh, deposit money and um, they said, hey, this is counterfeit. And you didn't have any idea. And they showed you why. They're like, well, look, you can feel it. So, in order to understand counterfeit money, they, they don't go into all of the different counterfeit bills and trying to see, well, see, this is different or this is different. They just study the uh, $100 bill, the real $100 bill, and the way it feels and the way it looks and, and uh, the, the things on it that are hard to copy and hard to forgery. And then the more they become familiar with the real $100 bill, then when they see something that isn't true, that isn't real, then it's it's much more obvious that, well, this isn't real because I'm so familiar with the genuine article, the real thing, that anything else stands out. Wow.
1: You know, I, that's so interesting that they became so familiar with what was true that they could instantly know what wasn't true. Right. And I false. just want
0: to restate what you said earlier when you were talking to the youth, because this is really... Um and, and, really, and really I think the youth are getting it. It's it's us that are maybe us, yeah. Yeah, my purity, apologies. No, no, no. <laughs> the the purity of the word must we must get that back to the people. Uh we have been given the purity of the word, whether we understand that great treasure or not, but to take the purity of the word back to the people, not to try to prove that it's legit or that Joseph was legit or he really saw an angel or that Christ appeared to him. But take the actual words, the actual meaning, and the Holy Spirit is going to do the bearing witness to their heart. We just need to present it in a way that's that's easy for them to understand in its purity, in its simpleness, And allow the spirit then to do the work. But but bringing that purity back to the people, that was the purpose, right? The purpose of it is not to to prove that, hey, God still does great works today and he still appears to men. No, the the purpose of it is to convince people that Jesus is the Christ. Christ. And not just convince them that in name only but in power so that their hearts are changed. And this may be a great time, Corey, to just share what you came across of these um, Hebrew uh, Indians that were coming to believe, but then you said at the end, but then you saw this, you know, it kind of took the wind out of your sails because you realized what they said because of Mm -hmm. the, I don't want to offend anybody, but because of, um, well,
1: I don't know. Do you think that's good to Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've, Found in like recent news interviews from uh, Israel. In fact, I, I found a, an interview on a Israeli news program where they had two Native Americans uh, being interviewed and talking about their commonalities in their history, their their oral traditions of the Indians and the Hebrew customs, and how you know the the Israeli people were interviewing Native Americans, saying, "Hey, looks like we have a common background." Well, it didn't go too deep. So I've followed these people and online and I tried to find other places where they might be talking about the same and found a, a detailed interview of them where they were talking more in depth with somebody about their their belief that they have Hebrew origins. But then they and this is where the wind kinda got taken out of my sails is that but not for long, uh, but just in the moment, that they said, But we wanna tell you uh, we're not talking Mormonism here and I and, and what they were saying was that, he said, no, we've been, you know, and they're used, the words they used, they said, we've been courted by the Mormons, you know, who, who want to try to get us to believe that everything that we've learned about ourselves is just what, you know, Mormonism is about. And now here's, I'm making a differentiation. Never did they quote the Book of Mormon, but what they're associating with Mormonism is not the message of the Book of Mormon. It's doctrines of People that have come in after the Book of Mormon, and whether you're RLDS or Restoration or or Latter Day Saint, you know LDS Utah, you got to realize that if the message of the Book of Mormon is given to us, and then we have messages that don't agree with that, this we got to know the counterfeit twenty dollar bills from the real twenty dollar bills. Amen. And the and the and and so here what they launched into was not anything about the Book of Mormon. It was about, you know, well, we believe that there's only one God. Well, guess what? The Book of Mormon's entire witness is there's one God. But we have ideas that have come in later about, oh, well, God was man, and there's multiple gods, and there's all these heavens, and there's all. You know what, brothers and sisters? Jesus said, if it's more or less than this, it's not a me, right? Mm -hmm. And can we believe that? Can we believe that if he if he said, "Okay, I'm not giving you the whole record." In fact, this Book of Mormon isn't even a hundredth of what was written. But if he signed his name to this, saying, "Hey, I'm giving you the what I'm calling the fullness right here," and if it's more or less than this, it's a counterfeit. Right. So, and I just want to say
0: um, we're we are not putting down the Latter Day Saints, the LDS, because. I love I, what you just said, and you said it in such a beautiful way, whether you're RLDS or Community of Christ or Restoration or you know Utah, anything beyond the Book of Mormon and the gospel, the plain gospel in there. And you know what? That includes us in the Restoration. It If does. they would look at us and say— well, You're not the disciples of Christ because it says you're supposed to have love one for another, and we're not seeing that, so we, we are not all. I mean, we are just as um guilty now. Now, we may say, Well, we never accepted polygamy, or we never believe that Joseph Smith practiced that. Well, that's that's fine, and 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 we can we can lay that on the foot of the LDS people and say, You know, you've you've done a lot of damage because Brigham, and but we've done just as many things, none of us are. We're all, none of us are worse than anyone else. We are all, um, we all fall, are falling short, and we all have such room to learn and improve and repent and be part of the work still. And that's the, that's the hope and that's the purpose, not to accuse or put down, but just to say we, we need to change, we need to do better. And we have an opportunity to be part of this great work. It's so exciting to me. That um, Corey, as you as you learn all of this, and, and I don't want to get you off track. I want you to go right back into where you were. Just the fact that you know, if I have the opportunity to share the Book of Mormon with some people, that helps them realize and their eyes open. are like, "This is this is my people. This yeah. is God speaking to my forefathers." Yeah. And this is who Jesus is, and I. You know what? I think when that happens, they're going to turn right back around and be able to teach me so much because of their culture. Oh my gosh, what they know, and and it's just going to be a beautiful time. So anyway, but that being said, some terrible things have happened that are have nothing to do with what the gospel says, and so that's a uh, that that's a problem. And so, like you said, I'm sorry, but anyway, back to your story. You no, were, no, these Indians were were um, they they believe in Christ, and they're they're going, they're talking to the Hebrews, and yet, you know, and like you said, they brought up well, but Mormon is well what they're 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 looking at. They're looking at the works mistakes of, of men. men. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> at the exactly. same time we said it. Yeah, exactly.
1: And not the gospel. No. And so it's like I'm still hopeful that someday if if just the gospel would be shown to them out of the Book of Mormon and they'd say, Well, this is exactly what we think is true. And there's even more, there's more to your people about the restoration of your covenants and your promises and your land and and the turning of the of the hardships you've had into blessings from the hand of God all these things are contained in the book of mormon there's a hope and there's a future and and it's not just oh you have to believe that we are the church or something that we are restored like you pointed out so well mike you look at every faction under this, and I'm just going to call it the Gentile restoration, if you will, the The churches that have come up and split off and, and kind of bickered among themselves and finger pointed at each other. We're all guilty of missing certain truths. So, it's not like you can point to any one group and say, oh, hey, these people are living in harmony and there's love and there's uh, there's no contention and there's a full understanding, seeing eye to eye of the word. No one has that. Most groups that split one from another had some contention that this, you know, they left the 99 for the one thing that was important to them and then other people leave right. them for the one thing that was important to them. Um and so I don't even want to go there. And and so the point is that it's kind of beautiful about the way this story ends, though, is that after the work came to the Gentiles, us, God says it goes back to the house of Israel. Third Nephi nine in the RLDS version talks about there's going to be a time of judgment on the Gentile nations, but specifically the Gentiles for rejecting this word. All right, and that was that's forecast. But God's arm extended. If they repent, he said, you know, I'll accept their repentance. That's still an option too. So there's no foregone conclusion here. But here's the interesting thing that Jesus says. This is first-person Jesus speaking about the Gentiles who had this word given to them. He says this, and this is 3 Nephi 10, verse 1. But if they repent and hearken to my words, now this is after they had the gospel. This is after they rejected the gospel. This is after judgment on the Gentiles. This is after Joseph's people rise up in spiritual power. All these are bullet points in this restoration process. So after Joseph's people have risen up in spiritual power, just like the Lamanites who were baptized by fire in the prison, When that happens in the last days, you know what he says to the Gentiles? I'm backing up to 3 Nephi 10 now. If they repent and hearken to my words and harden not their hearts, I will establish my church among them, and they will come into the covenant and be numbered among this, the remnant of Jacob." You know, what's interesting, it's that word establish. 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 E, yeah. He doesn't say reestablish. He doesn't say re-reorganize. He doesn't say re-remnant, re-this, re-this. No, establish to start from the beginning.
0: Point, one more time, Corey, point out the timeline where that was talking about. We went through that really fast. So yeah, says yeah. I will establish my church. And then,
1: again, when was this? After what? So here, here's if in... What's beautiful about this, um, these are all Jesus' words as he's speaking to the Nephites in America. And it's all shared in a, in a chiasm where the words and ideas are presented in a certain order and then they're repeated in reverse order. And it spans about five chapters. Amazing. You start, it's beautiful. It's the largest chiasm in the Book of Mormon. And it's like so big, it's like you can't see the forest for the trees, mm. but, but it's there. So, uh, and just because, Hey, it's our podcast and let's do it. Anyhow, if I just summarize a uh, chapter by chapter, a little bit of what's going on. 35, seven, version, Jesus comes and he tells the people, he said, Hey, I've been sent to you. And I want to let you know that, Hey, the law of Moses is done, but the words I've spoken through the prophets, they're not fulfilled yet. He said, this is how they're going to be fulfilled. He said, The Gentiles in the last days are going to receive your words. He said, they're not coming back to your descendants. They're coming to the Gentiles. Well, that's us. That's our nation. And in 3 Nephi 7, he says, but the problem is, around verse 30 through 36, the Gentiles are going to reject and sin against this gospel. There it is, right there. That's one of the scriptures I think we overlooked in our or at least no one prepared our hearts and minds for the fact that. Certainly
0: wasn't a focus no, that it, we were going to reject anything.
1: Yeah. No, it was kind of like, hey, we got the gospel. Now we're just riding it along until we're, we walk in the, the kingdom gates. So in 3 Nephi uh, 7, he shares this. Now, 3 Nephi 8, they, they share communion and it's kind of a, a cool moment right there in the presence of Jesus. But in 3 Nephi 9, he. Takes up the story again. He says, "Hey, remember I was telling you some words of Isaiah and how uh, these prophets aren't fulfilled." Well, he said, "Let me continue with that story." And and Jesus says, "I was raised to you guys first. The Lord sent me to bless you, and this is part of this covenant process." He said, "Eventually, this whole covenant with Abraham is going to be fulfilled." He said, "In your seed." Everyone will be possessed, or blessed. The Holy Ghost is going to get poured out on the Gentiles first, and they're going to scourge and scatter the people of this land. They're going to scourge and scatter the people of Jerusalem, the Gentile nations. Uh, we're we're part of the descendants of those people. Maybe we didn't do it, but our our forefathers contributed to that. But he says when they are going to, they're also going to get the fullness of the gospel. I'm going to be merciful to the Gentiles, just like I was merciful to people in Jerusalem telling the straight story, right? But the problem is these Gentiles will sin and reject this gospel. And when they do, Jesus says, I will bring this gospel from among them and bring it back to you, O house of Israel, and the Gentiles won't have power over you anymore. See, this is what the the New Testament calls the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles end when the fullness was rejected or is rejected, right? But that starts more of the restoration. That starts a time when somehow this beautiful, pure, plain, precious word that came to Nephi's people 2,000 years ago returns to them. And when they hear this, and by them, I can't put my finger on a map and say who, who, where they are, where they live. I wish I could, but I, I don't. I just believe what the prophecy says that, the descendants of that remnant respond. And from their response, the word begins to go back to their brothers and sisters throughout the world who are scattered Israel. So if we believe that maybe not all, but some of the Native Americans are part of, could have been Nephites' descendants, and also, uh, I'll have to share this if we're going to talk about it, other tribes who came to America uh, could be part of this too. In that book written in the 1600s that I mentioned by Thoroughgood, he tells a story, and he he says I have a signed testimony of a man named Manasseh Ben Israel. Okay, okay.
0: I just gotta say, let's take your time and go
1: through the story because this <laughs> was to?
0: this was like a like I was on the edge of my seat listening to this story. So I wanted to end with this because we're we we got about. Um, Let's let's end with this. Okay, and, and then we we'll pick time. up next time. So All right. just take your time. And sh- this is so. This is like. Uh, this uh, well, is just amazing. It, so. It's
1: amazing that it's been covered up so well. But <laughs> and, and I, I'm going to have to bring us back in the next time. So so if you're listening, you gotta you gotta tune in again. Let's uh, the for, rest of 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 Nephi's words. Right. Sorry
0: to interrupt, but just I you showed this to. me. This is a photographed copy of a book that's legitimately written, and I read the words
1: that you showed it. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well. So, and anyone can find this. I'm going to put it on Restored Gospel here very shortly. But this story... We'll link to it, too. Yeah, we'll link to it. Comes from uh, this book uh, about the the Jews uh, being in America. And this is written in the 1600s. Well, a man named Manasseh ben Israel, you can search his name on the Internet. He was famous uh, to the Jews and Gentiles uh, for many ways, being a, a great scholarly man. He's the one who shares this story, and and I'm 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 just going to touch on it. You'll you'll have to read all the things when we get on Restore Gospel. I'll have it there in its entirety. But what he talks about is um, uh, this account of being uh, a, a man is talking to Indians in the in the 1600s in America, and this man is visiting with an Indian who wants to know his forefathers names, And he shares, he says, well, I, my forefathers were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and the Indians taken back. And he said, For Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he said, who's, who's the fourth father. And it's interesting because the, the man is a little confused. He said, oh, well, and then he names his earthly father's name. Hmm. And, and, and he's like, the Indian shakes his head and he said, but your, but your forefathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And he said, yeah. And he said, I want to show you some people. And so they go on a journey in, in North America. Uh, he doesn't exactly put it on the map, but it takes several days to get there. They, they travel by foot. He says, you can't bring anything with you, empty your pockets and everything. I'm going to take you to a place. It takes them several days to get there. And they're taken to some Indians, Native Americans, who are living in a remote place, that no one really knows about. And when he meets these Native Americans, they introduce themselves and they say these words, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Those are the words from Deuteronomy 6 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord is one Lord. Right? The Lord our God is one Lord. But they say it in perfect Hebrew to a man who speaks Hebrew. Hmm. And as they discuss with him for a few days, he said, several people came to me and they said, we'll only tell you one thing at a time, but we won't tell you the second thing until you understand the first. And, And what he starts explaining to them, the first thing is they say, our forefathers were Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then they add a fourth name and they say, Reuben. Now, why this is important is is for several reasons. And this is a signed testimony that says this happened. But they said, we have to understand, when God scattered Israel, it wasn't just Lehi's family. Lehi was a descendant of Joseph. Joseph had many, many promises made to him and his lineage. One of them is that they would be like a tree planted by a well. That well is Jesus Christ, that they would have a knowledge and testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, we see Nephi's descendants come to a full knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the Bible implies in the Book of Mormon uh, reveals that many tribes, all the tribes were scattered to many locations in the United States. This story tells many things, one of which is that there were other tribes of Israel, not just Joseph's tribe through Lehi, See, Joseph was one of the 12 brothers. There was uh, Gad, Asher, Reuben, Benjamin, uh, others, Judah, who were all brothers. Who that When you talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, it was those brothers, children's children's children, who became the tribes. Only two of the tribes were left in Israel. That was Judah and Benjamin. The other 10, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Joseph, all these ones were scattered over a few hundred years' time or or more. The point is this. When he meets this tribe, they're practicing Mosaic um, laws. uh, And and many, many of the tribes, not even just this one, but they also believed many things about their gathering and restoration, which are only talked about in the Book of Mormon. And I won't have time to get into all these right now. Maybe we can do that in the next session. But what's amazing is that these people who are Native Americans had a full knowledge that their forefathers had crossed the waters from Israel and came over and that they were descendants of Reuben. So... Part of this, I mean, it touches in so many directions. Uh, it helps me understand when there's contention, even now, among our people about, hey, where did the Book of Mormon story take place? Was it Central America? There's evidence there, or was it North America? Because there's evidence here. Well, to me, it says God brought more than just Nephi's group to mm-hmm. America, and right. and there's reasons and explanations now which we begin to see for all this other evidence. We just don't have the records. Mm-hmm. So, so in that single story I'm realizing okay God's word has being being and been fulfilled and this restoration of all these people is part of what the Book of Mormons message is for so all these people can come back to a knowledge of the truth and so um I don't know Mike are we getting close on time
0: well but there's more to this story I gotta I gotta hear yeah <laughs> the, the um well, after he met this group, they didn't they take him somewhere else to meet. Yeah,
1: so he when he's in this group, there's several things I'll I'll, I'll share in detail the next time. Okay, some of the things well, he talks wanna, about. But well, but let me conclude with this. He he ends his story, and remember, this is written in the 1600s. He says, "Let's not get to the part that you I'm, don't want to." We'll start. Let's start
0: there at the next episode. All right. Well. Because this will be a good reminder. They're gonna have a yeah. Let's, yeah. All right. It's a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger. But it's, but this, can this you guys a, hold on for a week? All yeah, right. <laughs> this is the coolest thing. But this is this may be the meanest thing we've done yet. Oh know, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, this story is fascinating to me. So yeah, let's pick up next time. I wanted to I wanted to end today, Corey, with some music you sent me called. Uh, uh, this was by maybe you can talk about how you found this home again. Zephaniah three twenty. It was this uh, YouTube video called Zion. Oh my god! You gosh. know who the group is that sings this or the, the It says it's uh they're Israeli. Yeah, sung so, by an Israeli who believes in Jesus. Oh, it's,
1: this is beautiful. Uh, Joshua Aaron and uh, there's another uh, partner he has uh, writing this music. Uh, Jews that believe in Jesus, but these people invited. Uh, it's not in this song specifically, but these people sing a song with Native Americans that's called every tribe as well and and so we have Jews and we have Native Americans who are singing about to Jehovah who all believe that God is their God and that they are all cousins. Uh, it's beautiful. but this song uh just and it's called Zion. Uh, every phrase is a verse out of scripture out of the Old Testament as a message to Israel about how God has not forgotten about he will gather them who were scattered and he is the sacrifice and how they will look upon the one they have pierced and they will be brought together back under his love and care in Zion. And it's just beautiful. So I oh,
0: will we'll put a link there so that you can watch the video because the video does put the scriptures up i was watching this that you sent me so yeah, yeah i kind of see um our next couple episodes going um well we'll start with this story okay. and we'll go through and then um also uh, if there's more to talk about along those lines of, of oh there are, is yeah. but um but but i want to circle back and really this is what probably will carry us forward for some time when you said that it's it's, it's the, the restoration's purpose is to bring the purity of the word back to the people. Mm-hmm. And so we can uh, maybe talk and start getting into what is that purity of the word and what, and that's where we get to the, what does the book of Mormon teach, yes. you know, so yes. to Amen. these people. So let's end with this. What a, a good episode, brother. Um, we will, we will be back and uh, pick up next time. So enjoy this music.
2: O daughters of Zion, O Abraham's sons, hear the words of your father. Hear his promise of love. I will make you a blessing. So count the stars if you can. You. I will go. We have pierced, but don't fear O my daughters O sons of Abraham.